Hello and welcome back to Benaiah, Mighty Man of God by P.H. Thompson, an audiobook. This is chapter 19. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. 2 Samuel 9.11 The business of the day was completed in the common room. Benaiah commented that there were no more cases for David to judge. David slowly turned his head to Benaiah as if just hearing him for the first time. I'm sorry, Benaiah, I'm a little distracted. What did you say? I said we're through for today and wondered if you had anything particular in mind. David usually visited the court of the women to see his now extensive family after business was completed. As a matter of fact, I was remembering my dear friend Jonathan just now. I wonder, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? In Benaiah's mind, it had been a great kindness to the house of Saul to not execute the whole family when he became king. David would have been content to rule, even knowing Saul's sons, like Ishbosheth, were still alive, since he was sure God had placed him on the throne and it would be secure in spite of them. But then those two scoundrels had assassinated the prince. David was under no obligation to see to the welfare of any rivals to the throne. However, his benevolent character no longer came as a surprise to Benaiah. On days like today, he admired his king more than ever. Shemaiah the scribe stepped forward. I am not aware of anyone, my lord. However, you might inquire of Ziba, a servant of the house of Saul. I saw him here in the city just today. Bring him to me, David ordered. Shemaiah bowed and left the room to obey. Soon after, Shemaiah returned, a middle-aged man with him. The man was in his fifth decade, short in stature, with a pronounced nose. His dark brown hair and beard were well trimmed, and he dressed in the tunic of a steward or other head servant. Are you Ziba? David asked. At your service, he answered with a low bow. Tell me, is there someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Ziba's eyes flickered with fear. Benaiah wondered if the man was wavering about telling the truth. Did Ziba fear for his own life if he was associated with David's former rival? There is a son of Jonathan. His name is Mephibosheth, but he is lame in his feet, sire. Did the servant assume David wouldn't want a crippled man hobbling through the palace? Ziba didn't know David like Benaiah did. However, although lame, this man could still pose a threat to David's personal safety. David might let down his guard around such a man, but Benaiah would be vigilant. The king's safety was his primary responsibility. David sat up straighter. Where is he? He is staying in the house of Machir in Lodabar. David nodded to Benaiah, who dispatched two Pelethite couriers to summon Mephibosheth to the palace. As Ziba turned to leave, Benaiah excused himself from David's presence and followed him. Halfway down the hall, Benaiah stepped up beside the man. I need to ask you some questions about this grandson of Saul's. He squinted at Benaiah. Was he wary for his own sake or for Mephibosheth? Benaiah wondered. What do you wish to know? Whatever you can tell me. For example, why is he staying in such a remote place as Lodabar? He has been in hiding ever since Saul and his father were killed in battle. When he heard that his uncle Ishbosheth was murdered in his bed, he feared vengeance from David on himself as well. The king had nothing to do with that, Benaiah protested. Perhaps, perhaps not. Ziba eyed Benaiah as if testing the truth of his words. But Mephibosheth isn't taking any chances. He has lived a life of obscurity, even though he is the grandson of the first king of Israel. 
He hasn't even worked the land he inherited from his forefathers for fear of discovery. Benaiah didn't appreciate the man's obvious admiration of Saul. Did he not know the man's legacy? Benaiah crossed his arms and widened his stance, hoping to intimidate the man. How is it that he became lame? He was five years old when the news came from Jezreel that Saul and his sons were killed in battle. His nurse feared for his life, and as they were fleeing away quickly, he fell and twisted his leg. Benaiah concluded that perhaps this Mephibosheth wasn't a threat to David after all. If he had been considering an attempt at the throne, or at David's life, would he not have done so by now? Thank you. You may go. Ziba seemed to slink away, casting furtive glances at Benaiah over his shoulder, just as he disappeared around a corner. Benaiah wondered at Ziba's loyalty to his former master's house if he would give up Mephibosheth so easily. Could he be trusted? Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, has arrived, my lord, a servant announced, along with Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, he added. David showed no emotion as he watched Mephibosheth approach, while Ziba remained by the large wooden door, but he studied his features as if searching for a family resemblance to his dear friend. Benaiah's hand went to the hilt of his sword should David require protection against this potential enemy. A thin young man hobbled forward, leaning heavily on a hand-carved walking stick. A few feet from the throne, he tossed it aside and fell prostrate before the king, his body trembling, no doubt expecting a sword to his neck. Benaiah kept a wary eye on this descendant of Saul, in spite of his apparent weakness and humility. After all, every child in Israel heard the story of how left-handed Ehud fooled King Eglon of Moab by hiding a sword on his right thigh under his cloaks, only to murder him. Benaiah would not be caught unawares. David leaned forward and said softly, Mephibosheth? Without looking up, the crippled man answered, Here is your servant. David smiled reassuringly. Don't be afraid. I will treat you kindly because of your father. Jonathan was my dear friend. Mephibosheth stopped shaking. He dared to raise his head and look at the king. And I'll restore all the land that belonged to your father, grandfather Saul to you. Benaiah had grown accustomed to David extending grace and mercy, but this, to give an inheritance to the previous king's only living heir, astonishing. Mephibosheth rose to his feet, amazement on his features. And you will eat bread at my table every day, like one of the king's sons. Benaiah could hardly believe it. A grant of property far from the king was one thing, but to allow him so close to the king on a daily basis meant he trusted him. It was as if the king was adopting Jonathan's son as his own. Mephibosheth bowed low. But I'm just a dead dog. Why should the king show such kindness to me? A dead dog. Exactly what David had called himself back when he appealed to Saul when he stepped out of the cave they were hiding in to confess he had cut off the king's robe. You have a family, I presume? I do, my lord. My wife and I have three sons and one daughter. Ziba? David raised his gaze to the back of the room where Ziba stood. Ziba scurried to Mephibosheth's side and bowed low. My lord, how many sons do you have? David asked. Ziba's back straightened with pride. I have fifteen sons and twenty servants, my lord. You and your sons and your servants will work the land for Mephibosheth, and you will bring in the harvest so that your master's children have food to eat. What a joy to serve such a benevolent, gracious king. Ziba bowed low. Benaiah felt Ziba overdid it with his fawning and simpering before the king. 
I will do all that my lord the king has commanded. As Benaiah walked home, he felt a sudden lightness at his waist. At the same time, he heard his club clatter on the stone road and roll from, away from him with the natural incline of the road. He'd known this would happen some day. After all these years, the blue and white striped sling at his waist had tattered and frayed to the point that it could no longer support the heavy club. Benaiah fingered the torn fabric at his waist. In an instant, he was a young boy again, begging God to not let Amizabad die, promising to be a better protector for his brother. After so much time passed, through many battles, the sling had reminded him that obedience was better than sacrifice. But even the leather reinforcements Mariah had added over the years couldn't forestall this day forever. With a sigh, Benaiah picked up his club. When he got home, his children ran to him, arms outstretched. Abba! little Maytel cried. All he wanted was to be alone with his thoughts. Wait until I put my weapons away, dewdrop, do then I'll play with you. The words came out more sharply than he intended. Mariah's puzzled look followed him out of the room. He placed his club and sword on a high shelf in the sleeping room, out of reach of the children. He turned to see Mariah standing in the doorway. What's wrong, Benaiah? You never pass by the children or me without a greeting. What happened today? He lifted the tattered piece of cloth dangling from his waist. Mariah's hand covered her mouth. Oh, Benaiah! She flew into his arms. I'm so sorry. I know how much that meant to you. Unbidden, tears fell from his eyes. Crying over a piece of ripped cloth was silly, especially for a valiant warrior such as himself. Yet he wept harder than he ever had, even when Amizabad died. His grief went deeper now that, than when he was a young boy. His inability to, to protect the sling cloth uh, reminded him of his failure to protect his brother. Mariah held him and stroked his back, soothing him with soft words he couldn't hear above his sobs. When he ran out of tears, Mariah said, I could try to repair it if you'd like. Benaiah shook his head. No, no more. Mariah's eyes held questions. I've been holding on to it, thinking it was the only way I'd remember my brother and the cost of disobedience, but it became an idol to me. Mariah pulled back sharply and looked up into his face. Surely not. In a sense, yes. I was afraid of making the same mistake again. Benaiah wiped at his tears with the back of his hand. But I will never forget Amizabad, or the lesson I learned that day. He separated the remaining fragments of the fabric from his waist. I am ready to let it go. Mariah laid a hand gently across Benaiah's face. I love you so much. She kissed him. Come out whenever you're ready. Benaiah squeezed the fabric tightly in his hands. Then, as if in a final goodbye, he tossed it onto the wood pile to be burned. Continue listening for chapter 20.